0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is green and gold history. (laughs) 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. are the world champion. This is A's baseball. This is green and gold history.
2: All right, it is now time for a little green and gold history here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live with our historian David Feldman. And today we're going to be taking a look at top 10 greatest playoff performances.
0: Yeah, postseasons as a whole. Obviously, we have many rounds. I mean, it used to be two rounds back in the 70s, and now three rounds, and this year we have four rounds. But instead of just looking at series, although maybe a series or two will pop up, we're talking about a whole postseason. Which A's players have the best postseasons as a whole? All right, your honorable mention. So obviously there's a lot of guys who've had good postseasons and and losing series, right? We go back to 71, the ALCS versus Baltimore. The A's got swept. But Reggie, he showed some signs of Mr. October to come. Four for 12 with two homers. Sal Bando in the 75 ALCS went six for 12 with two doubles off the green monster that if it wasn't a green monster, they would have been bombed Dwayne Murphy in 81 and the two series against the Royals and the Yankees at 421. about Gene Nelson relief pitcher. We don't talk about middle relief and how important it could be, but the 98 in the 88 postseason was both the Red Sox and Dodgers five games, a two and oh record, 11 innings pitched, and only one earned run. And then a little more recently, uh, Milton Bradley in 2006 against the Twins and Tigers for the entire postseason at 323, with three homers, two doubles, drove in seven, and really in the ALCS versus the Tigers went nine for 18 and was the only really A's offensive player to show up as the A's suffered that four-game sweep.
2: Where is he today?
0: Great question. Uh, Milton, obviously an interesting fellow, had some uh, off-the-field issues Uh, I'm not sure what he's doing with himself. I hope he's doing well because when he was here in 06 and him and Nick Swisher were were great friends and the triumphant of Thomas Swisher and Bradley, I I was, I was such a great middle of the order for the A's.
2: Yeah. That guy so talented, unfortunately with the issues, very, very tough. All right. Number 10.
0: Number 10. We're going to go back to 1992 and Harold Baines, the hall of famer, Harold Baines. The only one series for the A's was the ALCS versus the Blue Jays. But in that series, Harold Baines had 440, 11 for 25, two doubles, four runs driven in. He scored six runs, multi-zip games, and five of the six games. And, and this is Harold Baines, Hall of Famer. He has a sacrifice bunt in that series. Tony LaRusso was not afraid to have anybody bunt. You'll see if you go back and look at those games and those box scores, you'll see Mark McGuire with a sack bunt. You'll see Harold Baines with a sack spot. I mean, it just didn't matter. If the situation called for it, he was bunning. But Harold Baines, uh, in his last go with the A's there in 92, he was the the offensive star. And 440, that's awesome hitting.
2: You know what's sad is you actually look at just, you know, some of his stats, they're very impressive. And just to to have your crowning moment of giving into the Hall of Fame and having so many people come after you for it was just – it just was not right.
0: No, it, it, it's weak. It really was weak. And the thing about Harold Bain, yeah, he was always a borderline Hall of Famer. But if he didn't have to be a part of two different strikes and lost really 65, 70 games, he would have gotten 3,000 hits. And it wouldn't have been a question, right? Uh, but circumstances dictated he missed those games because of the labor issues. Um, Harold was a great run producer, a professional hitter. Uh, as Reggie Jackson used to say, when the leaves turn brown, Harold Dane's bat comes around. He's a money <laughs> player in October, man. He just—it was Harold Dane.
2: Number nine.
0: Number nine. This is one of my favorite performances, and I think about it often. It was a brutal series to lose. This is a 2003 ALDS versus the Red Sox. But Ted Lilly, now, you got to go back and look what Ted Lilly did in this series. He's the Game Three starter. I mean, game three is the game where everything going wrong. You know, Todd Burns – it's Todd Burns. Uh, Eric Burns not touching the plate. Uh, Tejada not running out, an obstruction call. Chavez making two errors. I mean, it's all hell going on, and there's Ted Lilly on the mound, calm as possible, throwing seven innings, giving up only two hits. He's being literally heckled from the Red Sox dugout. They're all cheering his name. You know, Ted Lilly, They're sing-song in his name. He's got the crowd going. He's just calm as can be. Pitching his seven innings, not letting anything faze him. He was so impressive. Goes so 107 pitches in his seven innings. Comes back in game five. Game five with one day's rest after going 107 pitches. Goes two shutout innings in game five in the seventh and eighth, giving the A's that chance to come back in the ninth inning. Fortunately, strikeouts by Terrence Song and Adam Melhughes. But Ted Lilly, what a performance in the postseason. I just think it gets overlooked how good he was in 2003
2: did not think you were going
0: there yeah <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I tell you one day's rest after 100 something pitches he came in two innings. this is what you're going to see again probably in this series you talk about Chris Bassett starting game one depending on how it goes if this series goes long you're going to see Chris Bassett again in some sort of role and it's proof it can be done and it can be done successfully
2: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, this what I like about this series is that we're playing real baseball because they've turned the postseason not into real baseball because there's too right. many days off. Baseball is not a day-off sport. Baseball is a sport that's about your depth and how good your entire roster is, and finally, we're, we're going to see that.
0: Yeah, it's an everyday sport. You're right. This is the strength of the whole team, and this is who's better over these five days. I agree with you. This is much more realistic to how baseball is to be played.
2: Hey, if you want to give me a day off after every two games, <laughs> huh? if that's the kind of season you want to have going forward, hey, uh, I'll take more days off. Uh, all right, number eight.
0: Number eight is Joanna Cespedes in 2013 versus the Tigers. Again, just a one-series postseason, but he was such a force in that in those five games. He had 381. he had a homer, a triple, a double, hit safely in all five games, drove in four runs, Uh, even, you know, in 2012, in 2012, he had a very good series at 316, but in in 2013, it was Yohannes Estes. Even the game one and the loss, he had the big ball off the wall of Scherzer, just, he was a factor. You had to know where he was in the lineup. This was as good. This was peak Yohannes Estes. Uh, I thought in that series, he was just a monster.
2: He had the swagger. And I mean, remember in twelve, he was the only but the only guy who hit. Really, no one else hit. Yep. Number seven.
0: Okay, now we're going to some winning years. Uh, we're going to start nineteen seventy two. Friend of the program, John Blue Moon Odom. Mm. He was awesome in nineteen seventy two. So in the series, they they played a five game series against the Tigers in the ALCS, and then the seven games the World Series against the Reds. He had a 2-1 record. He had an 0.71 ERA and a 120 opponent average. In the ALCS, he threw a three-hit shutout in Game 2. Five innings in Game 5, where he allowed only one earned run. Made two starts in the World Series. Game 3, seven innings, just one run. Started Game 7, four and a third, just one earned run. John Blue Moon owed him. That's a series. 0.71 ERA starting four games, that's no joke.
2: Well, I got to tell you, I, I, I think there's plenty of guys that pitched for the A's years ago who, tr- who truly don't get their due. I mean, I think a guy like Kenny Holtzman. I mean, I understand catfish, and, but Kenny Holtzman won so many big games, and he talked to Ray Fossey about it, and it's like you know, uh, some of their guys just really didn't get their due for how good they were.
0: No, because you know, that some of the personalities that signed, some of the other ones are some big moments. And we're going to talk about Holtzman. And we're going to talk about Gene Tennant. Um, you know, Reggie was this big personality. Raleigh was this big personality. Catfish was a future Hall of Famer. So some of the guys got pushed in the background a little bit. And, and Blumo and Odom especially, I think just in A's lore, doesn't get the love that he should. He was an all-star with the A's. He was a great athlete. Uh, he was a great hitter when hitters hit. He just he did it all. Um, and he kind of gets forgotten in time.
2: Go ahead, number six.
0: <laughs> this is one of the holidays. This is Catfish Hunter in 1973. Uh, he, this, was, this was his postseason, 3-0 record, 1.82 ERA. He wins game two in the ALCS with a – game two and game five. Game five, he only throws a five-inch shutout in a do-or-die game. Uh, and then in the World Series, he matches up twice with Tom Seaver In game three, six innings, two earned runs. And then again, in game six, seven to third, one earned run. He's win both of those games. Uh, this is just, this is Pete Catfish. This is the guy you wanted on the mound uh, because he was going to not only keep you in the game, he was going to dominate the other team and not give them a chance to breathe. And, and he did that against Seaver in both those games. And game six was an elimination game. Uh, they lose that, they're done. And he's still go against Tom Seaver, and he outpitches Tom Seaver. Uh, Catfish Hunter in 73, Pete Catfish.
2: That is, when you start talking about Tom Seaver, Catfish Hunter, I mean, that is the that is the, that is the best of the best right there. And, you know, back then where you were, you know, when there, the series weren't as long and you could really kind of match up the best pitchers of all time against each other, when we were kids, that was incredible.
0: It was. It was great to see him, you know, face off multiple times in the same series. Uh, you knew you were just getting these war horses going to the mound. It was so much fun to watch.
2: Not to say I remembered that because I was just a baby at the time. I'm kind of meeting more as we got older, because <laughs> people, you know, people come up to me all the time. Go, oh, Tony you know that run? I'm like, I was born in '72, so no, I didn't see the Mets. I didn't see the Dodgers. I didn't say I didn't see the Reds. Now I barely even remember. I really don't even remember the Big Red Machine. I mean, I only want to been what four or five years old.
0: Yeah, a little, little before your time.
2: All righty, number five.
0: And number five, and this is Kent Holtzman. And this is 1974. And so I can tell you the first postseason game I ever attended was the game two of the ALCS versus Baltimore. My dad took me out of Sunday school, surprised me, and took him to the game. And Ken Holtzman throws a five-hit shutout. uh, And our friend Ray Fossey gets a three-run homer in the eighth inning as the A's win game two. Uh, And that was just the start for Ken Holtzman in seventy four. And the World Series, game one starter. Now, Ken Holtzman started game one of – all those world periods, 72, 73, 74, Ken Holtzman was your game one starter. And this one, he went four and a third, gave up one unowned run, and at the plate, this is a Dodger stadium, he hit a double and he walked. That was just what was to come. because Ken Holtzman was pissed he got taken out of that game after four and a third. And actually put in Catfish, uh, put in Raleigh and then Catfish came up and saved it. He comes back in game four, he goes seven and two thirds, only two earned runs, and hits a bomb. A long home run. The so Holtzman in that series, in that whole postseason, in the three starts, two and zero record, zero point eight six ERA, plus a double and a solo homer. That's a complete postseason by Ken Holtzman.
2: <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, how does he? You know, and, and I gotta tell you, I can't remember what what year. You know, whether we were on in 72 or 73 or 74, whatever it was, I remember interviewing him in the dugout. And just, he's a phenomenal interview. He's a, I mean, he is just, Ken Holtzman, just another guy that, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's been a while, you know, when you think, oh, the big three, and you're like, the big three, I mean, it's great as a big three was. They didn't do what these guys did in the 70s.
0: No, no. Hunter, Holtzman, Blue, uh, you got three straight world series championships. You have five straight divisions. Uh, the last one was they did without catfish, uh, but in their prime, that big three and that team, and uh, also such a big part of it. And the way he went about his business, right? Just fastball, just fast. He's going to work fast. He wanted to get out of there, quick game. Here's the ball. You can hit it. Uh, it didn't matter because his stuff was so good. And he was such a competitor. Uh, brilliant. And again, overshadowed a little bit by the other personalities, but Holston's right there is one of the all-time names
2: Did did, did you say work fast and, and get out of there?
0: Yeah. That Unbelievably fast.
2: That that used to happen?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, They would, and Ray will tell these stories, but Holston, I mean, the old joke about dinner reservations, it was true with him. You know, if they had a 7 o'clock game, he had 9 o'clock reservations somewhere. He wanted to get out of that.
2: You mean he wasn't just – everybody wasn't adjusting batting gloves and stepping out after every pitch?
0: Not so much. And people were looking to put the ball in play, believe it or not. No! striking out was considered, you know, bad form. That was embarrassing to strike out. But Ken Holston once threw a no-hitter when he was in the Cubs and didn't strike out anybody. No-hitter with no strikeouts. Think about that.
2: Yeah, that ain't happening again. All right, uh, number four.
0: Number four, Stu. Dave Stewart in 1989, uh, four starts, two in the ALCS, two in the World Series, four in row, 2.25, 197 opponent average, wins games one and five in the ALCS, wins games one and three in the World Series, set the tone in game one of the World Series, shutting out the Giants. After all the heartbreak of 88, the students come out and say, I'm just not giving up a run. Forget it. Here he goes. Give me one and we'll win this game and then after the tragedy of the earthquake and all the aftermath, to the take them out in game three, and again, just be wiped out. Uh, Stu in 89, he was the one who He deserved it, but for the whole postseason, just fantastic.
2: Yeah, it, it is sad that the fact that the earthquake happened, that that allowed that to happen with the sweep and, and him going and more going and back-to-back. Back. But, I mean, Dave Stewart, if you remember back, I mean, just the way he'd, he'd take down Roger Clemens. It just, it, it, it's like you had all the faith in the world that when that guy took the out, when you really want to talk about win day, when Stu pitched, it was win day.
0: Yeah. He was your eighth. He was your game one starter. There was no question who was starting. Right. And that's what well, uh, the Yankees have that with, with Gary Cole. He's your game one starter. Um, it says a lot for a ball club. you not that every team needs it to win. That's not the case. But having it and having the man take the hill in game one, it just it gives your team such a lift and store was with that guy. Like you said, when he took the mound, everybody in that dugout said, we're winning today.
2: Let's go to number three.
0: Number three. One of the most surprising World Series performances of all time, and that's Gene Tennis. Gene Tennis in 1972. And, and you got to look back at the ALCS. Again, we're looking at a total postseason. So the ALCS against the Tigers, he goes 0 for 15 to begin this series, plus makes a huge 10th inning error in game four where the Tigers actually came back and scored three runs in, in the bottom of the ninth to win that series. The bottom of the 10th, sorry, to win that series. Uh, Gene Tennyson ends up playing second base in the 10th inning and makes a huge error. So now you're hitless, you're out of position, you make a huge error. This is just a horrible postseason for you. But then you go to game five. Now he's back to catching. He has a go-ahead RBI single in the fourth inning of game five. A's win that game. Go to the World Series. What did he do? He hits home runs in his first two at at-bats. Ends up hitting 348 in the World Series with four home runs, tying a record set by Babe Ruth. He has double, nine RBI, a go-ahead double in game seven. This is a postseason. So the numbers as a whole, 225 average, don't tell the story. Game-winning hit in the ALCS. Unbelievable World Series of four home runs, nine RBIs, go-ahead double. This is Gene Tennis. This is – put your name on the map, right? You become an all-star because of this series. 1972, Gene Tennis, unreal.
2: Yeah, talking about scouting reports, we've mentioned this. I mean, Gene Tennis was nobody going into the series. It was after this he would start blossoming into a real power hitter. But if you're like, if you're the Cincinnati Reds, you kind of be, you got to be going, who the hell is this guy?
0: No, exactly. You're not even worried about him. Like, right? Reggie's out. He injures himself in game five against the Tigers. You go, okay, we don't have to worry about Reggie's back. So we got Sal Bando, we got Joe Rudy. You know, worry about them. Got to keep Campy off the bases. But, you know, George Hendrick, Gene Tennis, we, we can pitch to these guys. And no, Gene Tennis flipped the script. And, and hitting two home runs in your first two World Series at-bats, come on. Who does that?
2: <laughs> I know. You go look at the numbers, and then you look at his World Series, and you're like, wow, that was uh, absolutely incredible. Number two.
0: Number two and uh, unbelievable postseason. This was Burt Campaneris in 1973. And he was your leadoff hitter supreme in 73. Billy North is hurt. He has sprained his ankle late. So it's all about Bert Campanaris. Uh, for the entire postseason, he's 308 with three homers. He was 6-for-6 six six in steals, played an errorless shortstop, and just big moments, right? The ALCS first, Baltimore. In game two, he hit the leadoff homer. In game three, he hit the walk-off homer. No one's ever done that in the same series, a leadoff and a walk-off in the same series. And then in the World Series, this two-three-hit game, he has a go-ahead, two-run homer in Game 7, he his first homer of the series. Reggie followed with a homer. Reggie actually wins the MVP of the World Series. It could have been Burt Campanaro. Probably should have been Burke Campanero. He was ridiculous to have that many big moments and that many home runs. I mean, he wasn't a home run hitter at that point. It was early in his career, he had a 20-homer season, but now he's a slap hitter, trying to get on base, uses wheels, but he's hitting big home runs, stealing big bases, just what a factor. Burt Campaneros in 73.
2: And number one all time for Oakland A's history.
0: The number one all time postseason in Oakland A's history. From the greatest player in Oakland A's history, Anthony Anderson, in 1989. Uh, and you look back at these numbers, these are stratomatic numbers, Connor. These just these, should not happen in real life. For the entire postseason, he hit 441. Four. 41. That's the fourth highest single season postseason average of all time. We also had three homers, three triples, two doubles, drove in eight, stole 11 bases, broke up a double play in game one of the ALCS and helped the A's win that game. Against the Blue Jays, 400 average, seven walks, 1,000 slugging percentage. Against the Giants, 474 with a 524 on base percentage. Ricky was on base almost every time doing damage with the bat, with the legs, playing perfect defense. Are you kidding me? Ricky Henderson in 1989, that was that was a one-man wrecking crew of a performance. Yeah, he won the World Series MVP, and likely so, but Ricky could have easily swept both the ALCS and World Series MVP awards. He was so good that year.
2: It, it will always go down as amazing how much he freaked out pitchers. Yeah. He just freaked them out.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk to Todd Sottlemyre. You can go back and watch that game, too, and he's in his head. He's literally in his head where Sottlemyre is almost frozen, not knowing what to do, not just on first base, but on second base, too. He he was a walking triple in that series. You put him on first, he was stealing second, he was stealing third, and you had no chance of throwing him out.
2: You know, a lot of great base stealers really weren't going to be able to hurt you with the long ball. Uh, that's why I think of, of two guys that were, you know, obviously hall of famers, but you think of Ricky and you hit, think of Tim rains, rock rains, that these were guys you just couldn't throw a cookie to, to get ahead. Cause they had the ability to not only get the extra base hit, they had the ability to knock it over the wall.
0: It, it really was a dilemma with hitters like that, right? Cause you're so afraid of walking them because when you walk them at the double and you got to deal with them on the bases, but if you're too true, he's going to hit it out. And you know, Ricky, in the Toronto series, uh, hit the two homers in the one game, just bombs. That was the same game that Jose hit into the fifth deck. So Ricky put on a show. And then he leads off game four of the World Series with a home run, just putting the Giants back on their heels. Um, you know, you see a little bit of that, the offensive capabilities of George Springer, right? This is a guy with 39 career leadoff homers. He can pound you with the long ball. But he's not going to steal bases like Ricky. So you can be a little more careful with George Springer. Ricky, you couldn't be careful, right? He's either going to be a homer he's going to reach base, and he's going to have – he's going to steal second, steal third. It was a no-win situation with Ricky.
2: Are we ever going to see the stolen base back in vogue?
0: I don't think you are going to see it like like we did, especially in the early 80s when guys were stealing 90 and 100, the Vince Coleman's and, and Ricky and, and Willie Wilson put up big numbers and Ron LaFleur and Tim Raines. Um, it's just people are too risky with the Alps. But you saw the way the A's used it this year. They were so effective. The highest conversion rate in stolen bases in, in history. I think you're going to see more of that. Timely feel at a certain time. I don't think you're going to see one player dominate a stolen base chart up into the 60s and 70s. Uh, maybe ever again. I just I don't see it.
2: All righty. Let's run down the top 10 one more time.
0: Top 10 postseason performances as a whole. Number 10 was Harold Dane in 92. Number nine, a soccer to many, but Ted Lilly in 2003, outstanding. Number eight, Joanna Cephas in 2013. Blue Moon Odom, 1972. Catfish in 1973. Ken Holtzman in 74. Number four, Dave Stewart, 1989. Number three, Gene Tennis, 1972. Number two, Bert Campy Campanaris, 1973. And the greatest postseason performance. Of all time, number one, Ricky Henderson, 1989.
2: Another great list from our A's A's historian, David Feldman. You've been listening to Green and Gold History right here on A's Cast.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best